I want us to go to the book of Psalms, chapter 11 today. Psalms, chapter 11. Of course, Psalms, chapter 11 is a psalm of David. Scholars are not really sure when David wrote this psalm, but we knew, do know that David wrote it uh, when he was in a major crisis in his life. And while we're going to look at the entirety of this psalm, I want us to focus first and foremost on the question that is asked in verse 3 of Psalms 11. And the question is this, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Amplified Version says it like this. If the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I believe this question is extremely relevant for the times in which we live in. See, because we're living in a time in which our culture is imploding. Families are collapsing. Homes in which there is a biological father and a biological mother in them are becoming an endangered species. Matter of fact, our nation now celebrates what God condemns. Two people having a baby out of wedlock are now congratulated. I've seen it. Now, I know it's not the baby's fault. I'm not blaming the baby at all. But why would you get on Facebook and like something that is contrary to God's word? Because when you do that, you send a mixed message to this society that does not even know Scripture. Matter of fact, we're now living in a, in a time which transgenderism is attempted to become normal. Abortion is suggested as a means of birth control. Human life is no longer valued. The righteous are punished. The wicked go acquitted. The foundations of our society are being destroyed right before our very eyes. And as Solomon would say, and I know we don't really understand this probably completely, but he said there's really nothing new under the sun. Because when David wrote this 3,000 years ago, he was in a similar situation. The foundations were being destroyed. And as someone has once said, the moral fabric of our society is unraveling like a cheap sweater. And so the question is this, that is asked in verse 3, if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous, what can the godly do? And I believe in this Psalms we see the answer to what we can do. This is what David said he's going to do. And let's look at verse 1. And let's start with verse 1b and here's what he says. He says, how can you say to my soul, 
Flee like a bird to your mountain. And so what was going on was in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this crumbling of the foundations in David's life, some advisors, some friends were telling David, why don't you just run? But let me tell you something. One thing we cannot do when the foundations are crumbling is this, we will not flee. We will not flee. That's what they were telling David. David, why don't you just flee and try to run and hide? Listen, I understand there's times as a Christian you should flee temptation. But when the foundations of our society are crumbling, the last thing a Christian needs to do is to flee. Now, we're going to read a lot of scripture today in case it's not a good message. This is what we say. We heard some word this morning. Let's look at Luke chapter 19, verse 11 through 13. And look what Jesus says here. It says, while they were listening to the things, to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed, listen, they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Notice that. So Jesus said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, now listen, do business until I come back. Notice, they thought that Jesus, in this parable, that's who Jesus is, he goes away. They thought he was going to immediately return, and he tells them to do business, not suspend business, not go out of business, not to retire from business, but he says you are to do business until when? Until he comes back. Now listen, I understand that we're living in the last days. But you got to understand this. We've been living in the last days since Jesus returned to the Father. Okay? If you read the book of Hebrews, when it starts out, it says, In these last days, God has spoken to us through the Son. And so we know that when Jesus ascended back to the Father, that began the last days. And here's what I'm afraid has happened to the church. I've been told all my life, I remember in the 70s, I know for some, this crowd is not a big deal, but the next crowd, they don't understand the 70s, but I remember as a little kid in the 70s, people would say we're not ever getting out of the 70s before Jesus comes back. 
Then they said, we'll never get out of the 80s till Jesus comes back. Then they said this Y2K stuff, Jesus is definitely coming back before 2000. And what it has done to the church is this. We have basically dug a foxhole and tried to protect ourselves and say, we're not going to do anything until he comes back and gets us. We basically said it's all going to hell in a handbasket anyway. Why do anything? Why do anything? Now listen, Jesus could come back today. But I may surprise some of you, he may not come back for another thousand years. There's nothing on our calendar that says he has to come back physically in your lifetime. Hey, listen, we're getting older. Some of us ain't going to be around 25 years from now anyway. But you've got to understand something. As a child of God, we just can't simply dig our foxhole, find a safe space, crawl up in a defeated ball, so to speak, and just simply hope he comes back to get us soon. No, we are called to be salt and light. We are called to be about the Father's business until He comes back. But the church is too busy looking at the clock, trying to figure out when the final whistle is going to blow instead of being about the Father's business. And we want to be about His business when He does come back. And the church cannot afford to flee in these days we're living in. We can't afford to go run and hide. Let me show you something from Scripture. In Jeremiah 29... When God tells the, Jer- tells the prophet Jeremiah, you tell the people, you're going into captivity, okay? You're going into Bab- Babylonian captivity, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And this is what he says to them. Now listen, I think this is important for us today. He says, now when you go into captivity, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to build houses, live in them. I want you to plant a garden and eat their produce. Now listen, you wouldn't plant a garden if you were going to die in two weeks. You plant a garden because you're expecting something from that garden in a few months later on. You wouldn't build a house if you were just simply passing through. You'd just get a hotel room, right, and just rent a place. He says you build a house, you plant a garden. He says you take a wife, become the father of son and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. He says, next verse, he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. He says, for in its welfare, you will have also welfare. What I'm saying is this, listen, you may be at the end of your life. 
But what about your children? What about your grandchildren? Now, I've heard grandchildren are the greatest thing ever. I don't know about that yet. But why would I, as a servant of the Lord, just simply kowtow to this generation, to this society, and just say, it's going to hell, I don't care about it. No, I need to... Oh, I hope he comes back today, but I need to prepare, I need to work so that when my children's children are raised in a country, it'll be a country that is based on Judeo-Christian values and not this garbage we got now. David said, even though everything in the society, even though the foundation crumbled, he said, you know what? Even though they're telling me to run, I'm not running. I refuse to run from the enemy. I refuse to. See, Paul would say it like this in Ephesians 6, 12, and 13. He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual force of wickedness in heavenly places. And then this is what he tells us to do. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, what are we supposed to do as a child of God? We are supposed to stand firm. He doesn't say run. Get the whole armor of God and run. You realize in the armor of God, it doesn't cover the backside at all. You are never to flee from the battle Flee from temptation, yes, but you're never to flee from the battle. The least you should do as a child of God is to stand firm in your convictions, stand firm in God's word, and having done everything, he tells us in verse 13, stand firm. Stand firm. David said even though the foundations are crumbling, we will not flee. Do you realize we're going to win this thing in the end? I know it looks like right now we're losing, but I've read the back of the book, and we're going to win this thing. And as a Christian, we need to act like we're, we're going to win. Instead of acting like we're, lo- we're going to lose. No, we're going to win this thing. And so David says, listen, when the foundations are crumbling, i tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to flee. We're not going to run. We're going to stand our ground on this. Then the second thing he says, look at verse 2 here of Psalms 11. And this is what the, his advisors were telling him. He says, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrows upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. So they were telling David, David. You better get ready because they are coming to kill you. They're coming to defeat you. And so David would say this. Even though the foundations are crumbling, we will not flee and we will not fear. We will not fear. See, again, the people are telling David what the enemy was about to do. And listen, I know fear is something that you will battle most of your life. You may get victory on it today, but guess what? Coming next Friday, something's coming to your life. The fear's going to come knocking at your heart's door. 
It is. And when it, David say, at what times I'm afraid, guess what I'll do? I will trust in you. See, fear and faith can't live in the same heart at the same time. And so he says, not only will we not flee, we will not fear. Proverbs 29, 25 says it like this. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. See, when you fear man more than you fear God, you got a problem. you got a big problem. When you're more afraid of what man could do to you than what God would do to you. Scripture, Matthew 10, 25-28. Jesus says this, it is, not, or it is enough for the disciple that he comes like his teacher and the slave like his master. Listen, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, that's what they call Jesus. When Jesus was doing good and healing people, they said, well, you know what he's doing it by? He's doing it by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus says, listen, if they called me Beelzebub, how much more are they going to malign you as his follower? Me as his follower? See, we want to be liked. We want the world to like us. Think we're cool. We just good people. But listen, when Jesus came, he said at households of father against children, children against mother. Because when you follow the words of Jesus, there's a dividing line there. It cuts. And he says this, next verse, therefore, listen, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed and, or hidden that will not be known. He says, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim up on the housetop. Now listen, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the worst thing the world can do to you as a child of God? Kill you. But to be absent from the body... Is to be in the presence of the Lord. That's a promotion. All they can make a child of God do is go see Jesus a little sooner than what we were still thinking. Now listen, this past week, last two weeks, I, I, I like sports, okay? I like just about all the sports. And if you've kept up with anything in our news there was a young man that he's a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays this past week. He got on, I think it was Instagram, and he shared a post on Instagram. And I, 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 looked, at the, I looked at what he shared because I was interested. What did, what did he share? And the, the post that he shared was a guy that was given a scripture, and this is a scripture he gave, Ephesians 5 and 11. He gave this scripture in this post. He said, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. And the guy was saying, this is the reason why we need to stand up to all the LGBTQ stuff that's going on. Okay, he shared that post. Well, the Toronto Blue Jays became livid about it. All he shared was this right here. And they made him the next day 
have a press conference, and this is what he said. Okay, he's a, he, he claims to be a Christian. He says, I recognize yesterday I made a post that was hurtful to the pride community. And then he says, and as of right now, I am using the Blue Jays resource to better educate myself to make better decisions moving forward. Now, my question is this. Why would somebody that claims to follow Christ have to retract what the scriptures clearly say and say, now I'm learning that my ways are wrong. I'm learning a new way. Either they're not a real Christian or because they give in to fear. Because they give in to fear. Now let me say this. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9. Understand this. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, look what he says here. He says, he must deny himself. He doesn't say, if you're going to follow me, you want to really let yourself be made known. He says, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself, your own, your own desires, your own wishes, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he will be the one who will save it. Listen, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but yet he forfeits himself, he loses his own soul? See, I've probably seen a man that he didn't want to give up millions of dollars. Is that what your soul is worth, that you're saying, I'd rather go against my Savior so that I can keep my job? And when you do that, you got to understand, you cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. You will have to make a choice. I'm here to tell you, listen, I know we're in good old Winston County, free state of Winston, and it's just different up here. I thank God for that sometimes. But if you think for one moment it's going to always be like this, you are like an ostrich with its head in the sand. If they even do that, I don't even know if they do that. It's come. I haven't ever seen any border walls around Winston County that we can keep stuff out and just have a utopia here. If you don't think this kind of stuff is coming in to our education system, you're asleep. You're asleep. See, Continue on, he says this, verse 26. Listen, for whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. I understand the pressure. I understand the pressure to conform, 
to get in line, to get with the program. But as a child of God, you got to make the same determination David said. He said, we will not fear. We will not flee. And then the second thing, third thing I would say is this, Proverbs 11.3, because Psalm 11.3, he asked a question, the foundation is destroyed. What can the righteous do? I would say this, we will not fret. We will not fret. What does it mean to fret? It means to become furious, come frustrated. Yeah, absolutely, I'm frustrated. I get frustrated at times with what's going on in the world. I get frustrated at the silliness, at the foolishness that's going on in our society. Absolutely frustrated with it. I have to battle it all the time. But my question is this. As a child of God, do we quit? Absolutely not. Do we despair? Do we run away? Do we become bitter? Do we resort to violence? Proverbs 24, 19 says, Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. Psalms 37, 1 and 2 says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will quickly, they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. So David says, We will not flee. We will not fear. We will not fret because people are asking, Well, what can we really do? And David, the reason why he didn't fear, the reason why he didn't flee, the reason why he didn't fret, because he had an assurance. And he, let's continue on. Go back to verse 1, the very first part of that, of that verse. Here's what David had said. He says, in the Lord I take refuge. The reason why I don't flee, the reason why I don't fear, the reason why I don't fret is because in the Lord I take refuge. And this word Lord capitalized in ASB, which is the word for Yahweh, the word for God. It means this, it is the one that is all sufficient. It is the one that has adequate power to perform all his purposes and decrees. And let me tell you something, as we're looking at all that's going on in this world, if you got a small God, you got a big problem. You got a big problem, you got a small God. But if you got a big God, it's going to be okay because even when it seems like the bad guys are winning, guess what? We will win this thing in the end. And David said about three things here. Verse 4, go back to Psalms 11, verse 4. He says the reason why he could be assured that in the midst of foundations crumbling, why he could have an assurance is because he said this, the Lord, there it is again, Yahweh, is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And let me say this. God does not have a democracy in heaven. We don't get to vote on things. No. He says it. He decrees it. We just simply follow his decrees. And so David's assurance was this. Hey, God is still sovereign. God is still in control of everything that's going on. He hasn't lost control of this world. He's still in control of everything. Then he says, continue on verse 4, B and 5. He says, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And so not only is God sovereign, David said, you know what's really happening? I believe this is what happened in our world today. I believe God is sifting some things. I didn't say shifting. I said he's sifting some things. You know what sift means? They would take the wheat 
and they would beat it. And what would it do? It would separate the wheat from the chaff, right? And I believe in these days we're living in, God is sifting his church. He's shaking everything to see whether or not, and he knows for us to see whether or not, you're a true believer or you are not. David said, the Lord is testing the righteous and the wicked. What's the purpose of a test? Well, if you take a course in school, what do they do? They give you a test, and that test either shows that you passed or you failed. And so again, when he says the Lord tests here, he speaks of a metal in a fiery furnace that separates the pure from the impure. We've read the story, the parable of the wheats and the tares. What does Jesus say? He says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. And what happens? The enemy comes along and also sows tares in that field. And they say, what do we need to do? Go up there and just get it all up? He says, no, let them both grow. And then at the end time, what's going to happen? The son of Man's going to come and he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. The tares are going to be burned. Same thing, sheep and goat. Jesus talks about the end of the time. What's going to happen? He's going to separate the sheep from the goats in his church. Jesus was saying, Luke 6 and 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do not what I say. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does, does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Listen, many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name, cast out demon in your name, perform many miracles? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. And I'm here to tell you, the heat is being turned up. The fire is going to get hotter. And all that fire is going to do, it's going to separate the precious metal from the wood, the hay, and the stubble. And then David gives not only that God is sovereign, that God is sifting. In verse 5 and 6, he gives a summation. Understand this. Even though David wrote this, he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave him the words to write. And look what he says here in verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And listen. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Now that's way different from what we've been telling us people today. We've been telling people God loves you like you are. God loves you the way you are. No, 
I understand God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But Paul says, if you're not in Christ Jesus, you're an enemy of God. You're against God. And see, we got to realize this, that every sin will either be punished in hell or it will be pardoned in Christ. Understand that. And so he says, verse 6, listen. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. That doesn't sound like everybody's going to heaven to me. Doesn't sound like it. It sounds like there's going to be a final separation. And those that have rejected Jesus Christ and his words, he says there's going to be fire, there's going to be brimstone, there's going to be a burning wind that will be the portion of their cup. And then he says this, verse 7, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. In other words, listen, Right now, I know it seems like, as a child of God, we're, at, we're on the short end of the stick. But, it's not going to stay that way. There's going to come a time when Jesus Christ is coming back, and he will simply defeat his enemies. It's not going to be a bloody battle. It's just with the breath of his mouth. Not even a match. And my question is this, in this day and age where the foundations are crumbling, are you going to stand on a side that looks like it's ahead, that you know is going to be defeated in the end, or are you going to stand for one that looks like it's going down the tube? We know that Jesus Christ is going to come back, and he's going to rule and reign. And if you really believe that, you won't flee. You won't fear. You won't fret. So what do we do when the foundations around us are being destroyed? You make the Lord God your refuge. You put your tr confidence and trust in him and not in your job. Not in being popular. You put your trust in him. And if it costs me my job, guess what? So be it. If I've got to go to jail for speaking out on stuff that is contrary to God's word, so be it because I'd rather be in jail for following Christ and be in hell when it's all said and done for trying to be popular. Let me read a few more scriptures. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. Look what he says here. Come on, be playing. I don't even know what song you got for this one. Peter says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. He says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. 
If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, as a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be a... Listen, we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of his word. We're not ashamed of what he says is right and what he says is wrong. Listen, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God should entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. What can the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? What can the righteous do in a sin-sick world? I tell you what we're not going to do, what I'm not going to do, I'm not fleeing. I'm not fearing, and I'm not fretting. Because if the Lord is my refuge, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous can run to him, not run from away from the battle, but run to him and be safe. So I want to challenge you, grandparents, parents. Now is not the time. To run. It's not the time to be afraid. It's not the time to fret. It's time that we take a stand for Jesus Christ and His Word. Can we stand all over the house this morning?